Hello and welcome to the Jordan High 2004 podcast. This is Gonzo. And this is Steve. Steve, Gonzo. I'm so happy to see you. <laughs> happy to see you too. Although, I guess we saw each other last weekend. We did. We did. Had a great time running a race and uh, having karaoke night in the barbecue. I know. I like, man, I love karaoke so much. I know. It's so much fun. It, that karaoke machine... Bought it at Costco, by the way, everybody. One of the best things I ever bought in my life. You know what? I'm looking at Costco all the time, looking for it. It's like never. It's not there anymore. Wait, like I think when it's like November at Christmas time, Thanksgiving and Christmas time. I think that's when we got it. I'm, so keep your eyes open. I'm gonna buy one. They're fun. Yeah. I, I had a good time. <laughs> and thanks for everyone that came out to the barbecue. Thanks, Christina, Gus, uh, Teresa, for running the half marathon with us. It, it was really fun. It was really fun just to like get together and wake up super early yeah. and drive up there. And it was it was cold when we got there. But, uh, you know, that that very beginning starting to run didn't get cold. No, yeah. As soon, right as, as soon as we started going, uh, it, it felt just perfect. Yeah. But uh, you were ready. And you even like went running like the next... Or I think you and Gus played tennis like two days later. Yeah. And yeah. you beat Gus... Oh yeah, it's my first because I remember we were talking about in his episode that I hadn't been I hadn't beaten him in years. But Gus ran this half marathon and I could see him like moving a little slow, so it's like my killer instinct like just kicked <laughs> in. I'm like, now it's the time to pounce. <laughs> yep. And so, uh, moral of the story is, if you are prepared, you shall not fear. <laughs> so funny. Uh, you know, before we get started into this episode today, we we reached out to Hamza because... All right, so yeah, so like you and I talk about, you, we talk about lots of stuff. So we've yeah. been, obviously COVID is on everybody's mind and there's tons, tons of information and misinformation about it out there. So you and I like discuss the virus, discuss like the the state of the nation with it and mm-hmm. people's decisions when it comes to getting vaccinated or not getting vaccinated. Right. So we thought like, Hey, we know this really smart virologist. I think we dropped the ball. It's like, he was, we were talking with him and it's like, we should have been like, Hey, Hamza, tell us about the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. Like, but then you and I just decided like, we should reach out to him and ask him his opinion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he, Hamza was super, super nice and sent us a voice memo with his thoughts about the virus. Um, so I thought, let's, let's play it. Yeah. Hey everyone, uh, this is Hamza. Uh, I was asked by Gonzo and Steve to provide a breakdown of the COVID vaccines that are available uh, across the nation. First and foremost, I do recommend that everyone get vaccinated. I do believe that they are safe and effective. And I'm going to go a little bit more into detail as to why I believe that. I want to start off first with three things. One is there's a lot of information about the fact that this is a new method of vaccines and vaccinations and whatnot with this mRNA technology. Yes, that is true. It is new, but new in the sense of something that's been researched for well over 30 years uh, and close to 35 years. Uh, Number two, it is something that it has not been rushed. It has not been cut corners or cut any steps. 
the research and the science behind it is very well in tune with the normal way that these types of therapeutics and vaccines reach market and FDA approval. And number three is they are effective. They do save lives. Uh, the data has shown that it does. Uh, there were living through a real world clinical trial, which is kind of cool scientifically. But let me go back to step one about mRNA vaccines. So mRNA vaccines are essentially a way to give your body instructions on how to fight something that may or may not be foreign to your body. So what that means is that anytime that you get sick with like a cold or a flu, your body remembers it. It remembers like, hey, that was something that we didn't recognize before. So let's create antibodies to fight it. So all an mRNA vaccine is doing is similar to other vaccines is that it's giving your body instructions. There's no live virus. There's no dead virus that is being injected into you. It is specifically instructions on your body to be like, this protein is foreign to us. How do we build antibodies to it, to attack it, to kill it? So that is one of how it makes it effective. Two, it has not been rushed to market by any means. It has not been cut corners. This is mRNA vaccines have been in the works for a multitude of diseases and ailments. Uh, they've been done for HIV. They've been done for SARS. They've been done for MRSA. So all of this uh, information about mRNA vaccines and the COVID vaccine in particular is something that has been rushed to market. It has not. Uh, if you go back and look at the history and the publications from New England Journal of Medicine, the World Health Organization, um, and several other well-respected scientific universities and scientific uh, publications, you will read that it is something that has been very thoroughly researched. And three, it is proven to save lives. As of right now, there are 156 million United States citizens who have been fully vaccinated, meaning they've both had both of their shots. And of those 156 million that have been, yes, there are breakthrough cases. Uh, that is something that happens with every vaccine. Regarding these breakthrough cases, uh, the first thing to keep in mind is that these breakthrough cases are actually a very, very small percentage regarding the overall total. And when I mean small, I mean 0.04%. So it's less than a percent, less than half a percent of people had breakthrough cases after being fully vaccinated. Uh, number two, the vaccines prevent severe illness, and severe illness is defined as a hospitalization due to COVID. They prevent long COVID, and long COVID is stuff that's still being researched, but it's chronic pneumonia, chronic fatigue, having a shortness of breath, uh, respiratory issues well after you've recovered from COVID. And more importantly, they prevent death. The numbers are staggering of the individuals who pass away from COVID that are unvaccinated. And lastly, I'll leave with this, is if you have children or toddlers that are unable to be vaccinated at this point and are going to school, do it for them. Do it for the healthcare professionals in your life. Because at the end of the day, it's something not not only is going to benefit you, but you'll benefit the people around you and the people that you care and love about. And if anyone wants to discuss this further, again, I understand this is a very politically charged uh, decision sometimes. So if someone wants to discuss this purely based on the scientific merits of the vaccine and how it's effective and how it works, 
please feel free to reach out to me. My number is 801-560-0411. I'd be more than happy to discuss this with anyone or uh, everyone regarding the vaccines, if you're still on the fence, if you don't think that they work, uh, whatever the case may be. So I hope this is somewhat informative. And uh, if there's any more questions, please feel free to reach out to me and let me know. Thanks, Gonzo, Steve. Thank you so much, Hamza, for sending that in. Yeah, thanks a lot. That's great. And it's super brave to give out your phone number. We were debating. I was like, should we cut that out? And But we're like, no, nah, Hamza gave it to us. And if you have, like, scientific questions about it, like, he, just like he said, reach out and, like, maybe shoot him a text. I don't know. Like, <laughs> and and he'll, he said he's happy to answer him. Definitely. Maybe I'll call Hamza and ask him all my questions. Yeah, I mean, and you sent me that video of that, of that guy, like, talking about, it's like respiratory illnesses are usually down in the summer. It's like, but COVID is like... This Delta variant. Yeah, resurging and having, like, blowing up in the summer. And it's like, it's like, hey, well, is the vaccine effective Like when it comes to that? So, I don't know. I mean, there's tons of questions, tons of information out there. You know, I feel like, I, mean, I trust Hamza. If he says this is good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you have any questions... Shoot Hamza a text. Yeah. Yeah. Do it for sure. Yeah. And Steve's going to text Hamza about it. <laughs> yeah. Hamza, I got so many questions. <laughs> so who do we got tonight, Steve? Today we have uh, James Johnson. And he reached out to us. And I, I'm really looking forward to this because I, I have not talked to him. I, we're friends on Facebook, so I see things that he posts. And maybe he sees things I post. But um, I haven't had a conversation with him since high school, I don't think. And so he reached out, wanted to be on the show, and I, I'm really looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, I've messaged to him back and forth a little bit, but, you know, once last year and then years ago. So it's been it's been a while. I'm I'm really excited to talk to him. Yeah. Great. So uh, let's, let's get to it. Here's right. our episode with James. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be on. Oh, thanks. You reached out. What made you want to reach out? Well, so you guys, believe it or not, have already interviewed three guys that I used to play basketball with. I played basketball uh, with Huey, uh, Ryan Borgmeyer, and Hamza Kadia. I played basketball with all of them. You guys have also, I, I was in the Travel and Tourism Academy in high school with Christina. Um, and so it's just listening to everybody and, and knowing that people were coming on. It was like, yeah, I think I need to get on this. This would be fun. Oh, good. I'm so glad you did. It was really fun to just get your email. Like, oh, sweet. It's always fun to hear from people that it was just a surprise to hear from. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like we would run into, for years, we've run into each other all the time. I'd feel like we'd see you as at a church thing and like you and your wife were there or we'd go and get yogurt and you and your wife and your kids would be there. <laughs> like, I'd feel like we'd run into you guys all over town. So it's like, I don't know. It's good to see you. It's been a while. It has been. Yeah. The, um Menchie's, man. We we used to go to Menchie's out there in South Jordan all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, get us get us caught up for everybody listening. Uh, what are you up to? Where are you living? You have a wife and kids. Uh, yep. get, get us caught up. Yeah. So um, after high school, uh, went on a mission. Uh, that was actually a big surprise to my family. I said throughout all high school, I'm like, I'm not going on a mission. I get that. I'm not I'm not really interested in that. And then out of nowhere, I decided to go. Um, ended up serving an LDS mission in Chicago. 
uh, for a couple of years. Um, loved it out there. And Chicago is such a great town. Unique experiences out there. Um, Chicago is a big city like New York. I didn't expect to see people in certain circumstances living in what I would call third world conditions right here in the U.S., um, meeting all sorts of people. Um, and it was it was good for me, obviously, having lived a very sheltered life is what I would call it in Utah, which is where I was born and raised in mm -hmm. Sandy. In fact, I'm second youngest of nine kids, and every single one of us went to Jordan High School, all nine. Um, so big, wow. long. I, I had brothers and sisters that went to the old Jordan High. Um, I had a sister that was going to the old one and then moved over in 96 to the new one. Um, so literally the entire generation's going through. We all went to Jordan and going to Chicago, man, it was, that was uh, an education. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. But after, after Chicago came back to Utah, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Um, I started working in the banking system, worked for Zions Bank and then U.S. Bank. And I realized I hated it. Money was boring. <laughs> it wasn't as fun as I thought it would be. Um, and then I started working for Marriott. I worked for Marriott Vacation Club um, and Marriott Rewards for nine years. It took me to a point where they wanted me to help open up a call center out in Orlando, Florida. Um, and we moved out to Orlando for a couple of years. Um, and then I came back to work for Wayfair.com and Netflix and had the wonderful joy of, of learning what it was like to work in Utah County, which was another experience. Um, <laughs> but then um, back in 2016 and then 2017, I had this moment of insanity with my wife. We're like, you know, we should start our own business. We should do something. My wife is the more talented one between both of us. Um, she's a designer. Um, we decided to start a staging and design company where we help decorate and design homes. We work mostly with investors. People who are flipping homes need consultation on design. Um, and then we would go in, bring furniture, decorate it. They'd put it up for sale and we'd help them make tons of money. Um, and then I said, hey, that's a great segue to go into real estate. Um, and so like 10,000 other people in this state decided <laughs> to get a real estate license. <laughs> and I was a traditional real estate at first, worked with a lot of investors. And then I worked for Homie, worked for Homie for a couple of years and the, just the sheer amount of people I worked with was nuts. And I watched the market change to what it is now, which is crazy. Um, and then this last year in February, I started working for another real estate tech company called Rex, um, who decided they wanted to get into Utah um, and realized it was a bad time. And so then they decided after five months being here, they're like, you know what? We're done. <laughs> so I was like, all right. So I was looking for the next project. And a friend of mine reached out to me and said, Hey, why don't why don't you try software sales? Um, and so I just recently got recruited by Domo, and I start with them tomorrow. Actually, mm -hmm. so oh, congrats! In the tech world now as well, alongside the real estate and design. So hands in a few different pots. That's kind of the boring part of my journey since high school. <laughs> the more interesting part is is uh, my wife got me into Latin dance, and, and I'm not talking like salsa and bachata, merengue. Um, she got me into folk dancing learning folk dances from Colombia, um, Uruguay, Argentina, Brazil, um, Bolivia, things like that. And I did, I've been doing that for like the last, since 2009, I've been doing that. Uh, Set us a video or something so we can post it. <laughs> well, because you did, you did dancing before, right? Like you had. Yeah, Irish step dancing. I'm sure people might remember that. Yeah, that's my first thought when I think back. It's like, I don't remember from like even in middle school, just like remembering you having like talent shows that you would do that. Was that like having that talent? Did that help her to urge you or encourage you to do that? Yeah, um, I didn't actually want anything to do with it at first. 
but she had been tasked to put together a show. So my wife is from South America. She's from Colombia. Um, and her family emigrated here when she was about four or five um, in the early 90s. Colombia was going through a really hard time in the early 90s um, with the drug cartels and the wars that uh, the DEA and the CIA created along with that. I won't go too much too deep into that. Um, but they came over here on religious asylum. They, uh, she had an uncle who um, absolutely uh, had some great connections in the consulate and they were able to get over here. Um, but she, they, they ended up moving to Utah and um, she, she, the best way for her to keep part of her culture was dancing. Um, and that's why I got an Irish step dancing distantly Irish. I think probably like 90% of Americans distantly Irish. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and yeah, and so she, she asked for help coordinating this show that was based off of Columbia and I jumped in, um, and helped her with, um, coordinating that and doing, um, choreography because I had some experience with that. And one of the guys that danced with her, he's from Bolivia. His name was Danny. Um, he's like, let me just show you a few things. I started teaching me dances from Mexico and, and Bolivia to start. And I, I, it was weird. I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the music. Um, Irish step dancing, believe it or not, lent itself really well, especially to dances from Mexico. And the cool thing was, is I didn't really know a whole lot about the cultures in like, in like Bolivia or Argentina. And these dances were like a perfect segue for me to learn about these cultures and the histories and what the people are really passionate about. And so in a way, it's also softened me towards learning about these other cultures that I don't think I would have learned any other way. It's really cool. That's awesome. That's so cool. In 2012, um, as part of it, I actually was able to do a show at the conference center called the Luz de las Naciones, which mm-hmm. is Light of yeah. the Nation in, in English. And it was, you know, they filled it up with 21,000 people. And I got to do a, a couple of dances, one from Argentina, the Chacarera, and then another dance um, from, from Mexico, from the area, the state of Veracruz. So I'll, I'll find those tapes and I'll send them. All you right. Guys. That would yeah. be awesome. <laughs> myself in the group. <laughs> I did that with, yeah. That's cool. So James, tell us a little bit about yourself in in high school. How did you see yourself then? Oh man, I was I was so insecure in high school, so insecure. Um, but I and I wanted to be friends with everybody. I and I didn't have friends. I I, I noticed the theme when you guys bring people on to the podcast. Everybody's like, I, I wasn't friends with like one group of people. Um, I was friends with people from all, all different groups. And, and, you know, we, I think we have a unique situation in the 2004 class. Cause when I talked to my wife, she graduated from Brighton. She's like, it was not like that at all. It was very clicky. Uh, people had their groups and they stuck with their groups. Whereas I look back at everybody that you guys have had on and it's reminded me of all the different people that I got to know. I didn't get to know everybody that well. Like I would have loved to have hung out with you guys a lot more. But we all had our had our groups and our things that we were focused on. I, I also part of what drove me to be friends with people, want to be friends with people, is I was craving acceptance like heavily. Um, I didn't know it back then. I know now that I I heavily struggled with anxiety and depression in high school heavily, and I didn't have a, much of a direction. I just I loved travel, so I did the travel and tourism academy. I loved art, so I did European history and art history. And uh, it's it's helped me um, in looking back at that. I, th- I actually think about high school, not like a lot, um, but I do think about those those experiences. It shaped a lot of what I what I've done now. Being able to recognize those moments with anxiety and depression has helped me learn to cope later on in life. So, yeah, I was very insecure in high school, very insecure. Um, Why do you think that you like 
craved acceptance or like where did that insecurity come from? So being one of nine kids um, in a household that's heavily LDS, and it's not that my parents didn't do a bad job. My parents did the best they could, especially with nine of us. I, I think it's one of those things where you're given an identity and this is, this is the identity that you fulfill um, in order to be accepted. Um, for me, um, being a white middle-class male in the church, it was follow the commandments, get the priesthood, go on a mission, get back, get married in the temple and have kids. And if you hit all those things, you're accepted. You know, you have worth. And, and I didn't fit that mold at all. <laughs> I didn't. I struggled. I had questions about the church and I didn't have a safe place to talk about it at all. And so I hid that part of myself, especially from my family. I didn't talk about it at all. So at school, those things didn't matter as much. I mean, we had seminary, um, but I, found, I find that the closest friendships I had were people who didn't particularly focus on religion. It was just about the friendships. And so, but because of that, because I didn't feel like I fit the mold, I didn't find acceptance at home. Um, and so I really, I really wanted, I craved that acceptance from my friends at school. And I think kids don't always understand friends at that age are the most important thing to, to kids. It really is. And so it, it leads you to do difficult things and make silly mistakes. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and, and it makes it hard to talk about it too. Yeah. Well, hearing I, I told, it totally makes sense because it's like in the family, you have like these expectations, like you're talking about growing up in this LDS home, like this is what you will do. And if you don't do that, then it's almost like what's wrong or what did we do wrong or what, what needs to change to make you do these things. And so maybe not feeling that acceptance at home, finding it or looking for it with your friends or at school, like it totally makes sense that that's where you would look for it and try to just crave it and, and fill that need that you weren't getting filled. And And then also like, did you feel like, were you kind of like the odd men out? Like, are your siblings, like, they're all in, but you feel like you have these questions. So did you feel kind of feel alone with those questions? Because it's like you couldn't, it, or did you have your siblings that you, you could talk to and be like, hey, what about this or that? I don't know. I mean, was it anything yeah, like that? I, I really, so my family, I'm really, like, I have eight best friends now. But as I've gotten older, I found out we've all gone through very traumatic things in our lives. Everybody in my family had. And um, the, my traumatic experiences were different. But I, some of the more traumatic experiences I had, I had when I was really young, um, you know, six, seven, eight years old. And with that being, you know, around that age of eight and getting baptized, it was very conflicting. Um, the problem was, is when I was young, I didn't know how to ask questions and I didn't know how to approach my parents about it. And so when I did approach... It was sometimes met with judgment, but not towards me. It was like I was asking a question about myself, but indirectly. No, I've got a friend who's yeah. struggling with yeah. this. Uh -huh. And they're like, oh, no, 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 that, no, no, no. That, that's not something that you can struggle with. Like, that's Stay away from that friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> that, that harsh, but it was like that's the feeling I got. At that young age, it, it, they made it so black and white. But everybody in my family was – they had so, – everybody bought into the church. Everybody just bought into it. It was – and it wasn't just um, when I, I stepped away for the, from the church for a couple of years and people would ask me at times, they're like, are you, are you Mormon? And my answer was, uh, was always, well, I'm culturally Mormon. And, and cause I, 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 even, even when I left the church, I did, I still felt culturally Mormon 
living here in Utah and stuff. So that just, that was bred deep into us from very young age. And it did, it it alienated me because I didn't feel that way. I didn't want to feel that way. Was it hard when you made that decision to step away for a few years? Ooh, yeah. And I announced it on Facebook, which is a big mistake. I remember, I (laughs) saw that post. you posting that, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I announced that on Facebook and... I, and I've become an advocate kind of against social media. Not that I think social media in itself is bad. I think there are lots of great things that we develop and then there's unintended consequences that come along with it. When I posted it on Facebook, I had um, a couple of people who were really upset about it. And I think it's because um, when somebody's vulnerable when it, and it's something that runs as deep as the church, and especially in a culture like Utah's, people felt like it was a personal attack against them. And so there were a lot of people who were like, no, that, that this isn't okay. And then there were those who live in Utah who aren't LDS, who have felt who have felt pressured or belittled or marginalized by the members of the church here, who came roaring to my defense. But at the same time, they weren't defending me. They were defending themselves. Yeah. Within that one post in the comments, there were two echo chambers that were constantly fighting against <laughs> each other. Those who are members of the church and those who weren't. And, and I, realized, I realized within a... a about a day, I was like, I got to take this down. Like, this isn't what I wanted to, what I wanted to do. And so I eventually took the post down. And, and um, I, the people who mattered most, the people who were my real friends, continued to reach out. And so in, no, in, in a moment like that, that was so polarizing, um, I lost a lot of friends. And the ones who were really friends, it solidified that friendship for good. And so there were, there were good and great things that came out of that. My family really struggled with it. They did. My dad felt like it was a personal attack against him. He, he felt like I was making it personal. Uh, my older brothers felt that I was making it personal against him. And they really struggled with it. They did. A couple of my family members reached out almost immediately to say, hey, it's all right. We still love you. And then other ones who reached out to me and said, you're a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> so it was very polarizing. Um, and that makes it hard. That made it really, really hard but we've come out the other side and we've moved on. So it's um, my, my relationships with my family are good again, but it took, it took a little bit to get there. And then I know this is kind of off topic too, because we're kind of getting into this, but then I also wanted to, uh, and you're back, you're back to church, right? I am. Yeah. And then I I was, I'm so curious, like what brought you back? (laughs) So I had the decision to make there's for, for those who don't know, or may not be familiar with the LDS church, when somebody steps away from the church, you can either just kind of go inactive, what they call going inactive, right? Um, and just not go anymore. Um, and then at some point, they send the missionaries after you, <laughs> which is half of what I did on my mission was go after inactive members, right? And then um, the other half, they, they write a letter into the leadership of the church that actually asks them to remove their name from the records, which is like, take my name off. I'm not a member of the church at all anymore. My family has a heritage that runs very, very deep. Um, in the church. Um, I have a great, I think it's a sixth great grandmother named Phoebe Draper Brown. She, she, she taught at the schoolhouse in Kirtland. She was in Nauvoo. Um, I actually have on my dad's side, I have the Yearsleys who had a house that's still standing in Nauvoo. Um, it runs very, very deep. And they all sacrificed, hearing those stories growing up, sacrificed a lot to get to Salt Lake. And so part of me in making the decision not to take my name off the records altogether was kind of paying respect to them saying, I'm not just going to take my name off because I think that it's not necessary. 
Um, but I also, it was, it was kind of my way of paying my respect to the ancestors that came before me. And that kind of left the door open for me to think about it and decide whether this is where I should be or not. So that was the question I asked myself, which is what I suggest anybody do is whatever, whatever you, you, you know, whatever your creed is, whatever you believe, um, if it does good or has the potential to do good, ask yourself if this is where you're supposed to be. And if not, where, um, where should you go? Um, it's hard when your life is surrounded so deeply by something like the church to leave, it leaves a huge void. Um, I had, I actually had to mourn the loss of that for, for the time that I was away. Cause it did, it was a deep part of my life. It was part of my marriage. It was the ideals that we were raising our kids on. And then I was like, nah, I'm stepping back. I don't want this anymore. So it caused a huge rift in, in my marriage and it, it, but it allowed me to kind of break down all the falsehoods that I was living by, all the the the, uh, the facade that I had built up for all the years. Um, and so I got to break that all down and build it all back up again, which was a really special experience for me. I didn't have to pretend to be who I was anymore. And even, so it was hard tearing off the Band-Aid, but it's made me an incredibly more genuine and authentic person in the process. And so deciding to come back to the church, it was a feeling that I got that this is where I'm supposed to be, that I felt like I could do the most good being a part of it. Um, I do not think the church is perfect. Um, in fact, I'm one of the few people that will speak up at church and say, let's not whitewash the mistakes that the church has made in the past. Instead, let's learn from it because the church is run by, you know, they're not infallible men. They're, they make their mistakes too. Um, and so it's, it's definitely changed the way I approach it. Um, and it's been a huge blessing in my life. Um, so it's, it, yeah, it's kind of a roundabout way of answering the question. <laughs> I think, I know that Gonzo asked that question, but like just listening to you talk, I, I love it when people like start to be true to themselves. And yeah. I think that you nailed it when you said like there's a void because it's not like, see you on Sunday. I mean, for some people it is, but it's like if you are really active in it, it's like that's your social network. That's where most of your friends, your neighbors, like people have expectations of you. And so by saying I'm out, like there is a, a loss at in doing that. And so I, I respect anybody that, you know, has the courage to say, hey, mom and dad, like I'm not doing this anymore. It doesn't bring me happiness or joy or I have these questions that I don't have, whatever it may be. But being willing to take like that hard step. Um, and I would love to know, like. I love how you just said I was able to get rid of the facade and just find like your true self. Like what lessons did you learn going through that? So the, the, I guess the biggest thing that I learned is the value of vulnerability, right? I think anybody, anybody who studied, um, uh, uh, I guess emotional intelligence or, um, learning how to be a real, a truly supportive person. You eventually run into, um, she's an author. She has her own podcast. Her name's Brene Brown. I'm sure many people have heard of her, right? She talks about the power of vulnerability. It's probably one of the most listened to TED Talks as well. But when you, vulnerability, the way she describes it is the true measure of courage. When somebody can be vulnerable and let their guard down and present themselves as they are, there's a freedom that's gained from that. Um, you're, you're basically, when you're vulnerable, what you're doing is letting go of the narrative of trying to control what the other person's reaction is going to be. 
So it, you might have hurt somebody. And, and for anybody who's gone through addiction recovery and stuff, the idea is, is that you let go and you tell the truth and you let yourself be seen for the first time. And the only way to do that is by saying, I can't control the reactions that people are going to have. And it's scary. It's incredibly scary because you know that there are going to be people who are going to be angry. They're going to be frustrated who are going to say, I don't even know you at all anymore. And you know, there are going to be friendships that are going to be lost. But in doing so, you allow yourself to truly be seen. And what it does is it severs the inauthentic connections that you have with people. And it strengthens the truly genuine, authentic connections that you have with people. And so what it really ends up doing is it ends up filtering the the bad from your life, um, which is something that I would suggest everybody does. Because um, the minute you do that, many of the connections you have will actually end up coming back. And when they do come back, they come back stronger and they come back real. And that, man, that's that's been uh, such an amazing thing. I can't even tell you. Why don't you do that? It's still scary. It never gets easy when you're vulnerable with people. Um, but that's that's probably... The best thing. And, and actually, throughout this entire process, I feel like I've figured out the secret or the, uh, the real purpose of suffering, as I like to call it. Because one of the things I've always struggled with is you watch uh, what goes on in the world, the hard things that happen, um, civil wars that happened in, in Syria and, and the kids that have just the tens of thousands of kids that have died. I mean, entire generations that have been lost. Uh, what's going on in Afghanistan for the last you know, 20th anniversary of um, 9-11 and everything that's happened in the Middle East since then, you go, what's the point of all the suffering? And it's it's hard when you think of it as a grand whole. It's important to be mindful of those things, but the best thing you can do is kind of look at yourself and become introspective and say, what can I do better? But what I've discovered is the real secret or the real purpose of suffering is empathy. The reason why we go through our struggles, the reason why we have hard experiences is we we're really not any use to society if we're not willing to serve others and we typically can't learn to serve others unless we've gone through hard things because hard things develop empathy from us and so for me the secret is I, i've gone through hard things because i need to be more empathetic so that i can be of more help to other people around me to me that's the real purpose behind it if you will so i don't mean to get so philosophical <laughs> No, that's good. And I and I'm with you. I mean, I'm all about vulnerability and genuineness. You know, that's it's kind of what you're saying. It's like, man, I I'm 100% all about that. Being genuine with with people, being being true. I just feel like those are so much more uplifting. They're make contact, connect with people some on a higher level, on a deeper level. They get to see you, you get to see them. And I'm also you know, I'm all about service, just like you're saying, like, you know, the more empathetic you are, the the more willing you are to be helpful, to be helping your neighbor, your community, you do see all the bad things that happen in the world. Yeah. And it's just like, well, what can I do? It's, it's like, yeah, there, there are things, so many injustices and so many things, so many evil things in the world. And, you know, it can be daunting looking at all those things. And, and it can be make you feel like powerless. Yeah. But I just feel like you, if you can do something small to make somebody's day a little better, you know, to share small kindnesses around you, 
though that's the that's the only thing you can do in a way because there's and and i feel like that kind of spreads and and people and that catches on people kind of are willing to do nice things in return or nice things forward it 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 can make you feel powerless when you're looking at like you know you're look you see a video in afghanistan of like the the <laughs> airport and just like people climbing on the planes and you're like shoot it's like that is the worst thing ever and you'd feel like i would be you know you would also be so desperate you know you'd be so desperate to get away to get get somewhere safe and you're like you know we're so blessed to live in the states where we are you know a thousand times safer and relatively safe in comparison you know Mm -hmm. so it's like you know you just shed tears for them and and you know you can send a few bucks if you like there is like places where you can people that are better people that are trying to help but besides that yeah it's like oh you are really powerless i think it goes back to what james was saying about suffering i think when you go through crap and hard things when i hear somebody else that goes through that kind of stuff my heart goes out to them so i'm sure like when gone's like when you hear someone going through immigration and like having these issues it's like you probably have an even more tender heart towards somebody going through that kind of process. Or when you hear about somebody like having questions or doubts or wanting to leave the church or have a a transition out of it, whatever it's like, Hey, I, I have suffered through this. I have gone through this. Like I, I know what it's in a way I want to be able to relate to you and know what it feels like. And I think that that's all about connection. Like I know for me, whenever I see like a deaf person signing across the store it's like oh i'm gonna go and talk to that deaf person because they love seeing somebody that can sign and hey like maybe they know my mom maybe they know my dad my deaf family and i think that like i just love how you brought that up james like suffering brings empathy and i feel like empathy brings action like we're talking about service we're talking about serving people and I, i just feel like that's how we get a real connection that brings true value to life instead of just talking about sports even though they're fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I just love that you brought that up, James. Like that, I think that's, that's a great lesson to learn out of all of that. And I think all of us could definitely do some introspective, you know, looking inward and see where we could improve in that. Yeah. Um, Acting based off your strengths, right? Because you just mentioned it. Um, knowing sign language, that's, that's one of your strengths. That's, and knowing how to use that to help out, I think that's huge. Everybody has their strengths and it's easy to get overwhelmed and say, I'm not an expert in diplomacy. I'm not in politics. What the crap can I do about what's going on in Afghanistan? But knowing that there are good um, Islamic or led organizations here in the States that are fighting for the rights of some of those people, supporting them any way you can, that's one way to do it as well. You know what I mean? Supporting those education efforts of the young women and and women over there um, that, you know, that's a little threatened. So I, I think play to your strengths um, and educate yourself. I didn't know anything about the immigration issues people go through. Getting to know my wife's family and their story changed my entire perspective on that. They were lucky. They were very lucky. There were a ton of families in places like Medellin and in Bogota out in Colombia that they didn't get out. They didn't have the connections that my in-laws had. Um, to be, even be able to get to the States. They didn't have family living here. And those who did make it, most of them didn't have family that were here. So they came here and they just got thrown into the fire. And, and it's something that hasn't gone away. When we were in Orlando, 
um, I went to an, my annual checkup with my doctor out there and the nurse that was assisting the doctor that I went to see, she was a heart surgeon in Venezuela and she came to the States and her degree isn't accepted here. Mm. And so she had to start completely over after everything, the economic downfall in Venezuela over the last few years. So seeing that, I think sometimes it's, it's easy to lose sight of how lucky we are. Um, and how much, how blessed we, we really are. And, um, but yeah, it's largely, it's, it's, it's just educating yourself, finding that opportunity to step into those shoes. And, but yeah, I, I wouldn't have known that if it wasn't for my family's experience, I would probably still be a, a very sheltered in my opinion, when it comes to immigration, just as one example. Yeah. So James, so you were saying you, as a kid, you were really looking for acceptance, right? Yeah. You also discover that like, oh, I have like anxiety and I suffer from depression at the same time. But you kind of, you said you, you had like a few like interests, right? You liked art, you liked basketball, you like travel. What's changed? What's, who are you today? Um, way more authentic. <laughs> I think about, I'm mean, going back to talking about tearing down the facade. I, I built up this image in my head of who I was supposed to be, and that's gone now. I don't pretend to be something I'm not anymore. The, the biggest thing for me is I've also learned to kind of embrace the things that make me happy rather than embrace the things that I, I think are supposed to make me happy. I don't, uh, like when, when I was in high school, right, I, back at Jordan, all of my teachers were saying, go get your MBA, go get your master's, go, go, to, go get a master's of business, right? And now, MBAs are a dime a dozen. Everybody has them, right? I don't mean everybody, but there's so many. And and what that's caused now in this country is a crisis of student debt. And so I, th I think rethinking, the, for me, the big thing has been rethinking my own trajectory. Um, this idea, this plan that I had for myself, um, what it was going to be is just, it's so vastly different now. I never thought I'd go into real estate. Um, I never thought that I would go into software sales. Um, I, I didn't get go and get a four-year degree. I got my associates at LDS Business College or now Enzyme College. And um, that was it. I didn't want to finish school after that. I just got my associates and went into real estate, basically. And I wish somebody would have told me about those alternative options. Um, I have a son who um, has what they call sensory processing disorder. Um, he's my oldest son. He turned eight um, and I actually was able to baptize him, a member of the church yesterday, which is an awesome experience. But he, he has all the struggles. The best way to articulate sensory processing disorder is he has all the sensory issues that an autistic child has, but he doesn't have the social um, shortcomings that an autistic child has. So he's, he's probably technically on the spectrum, just would be more high functioning is what they would call it for him. The traditional sense of going to high school and then going to college and getting a four-year degree and then going and getting a job and building up a career at a court, that's not going to be a reality for him. He's going to have to either learn to work with his hands or become an entrepreneur at something that he is good at and learning to develop something like that. That's hard. Thinking about that and trying to help him take that on, that's really, really hard. Um and so he's also taught me in the process to learn to take things one step at a time um, and to learn to live in the moment. Um, I have a tendency as part of my anxiety to try and take the whole thing on at once to look at the entire picture. And then I let that overwhelm me and then it freezes me into inaction. 
and not wanting to take it on at all. And so then I numb myself. And when you try and numb any of your feelings, um, the big secret is, is you can't numb just one. Uh, you start to numb yourself almost entirely. And so then it starts shutting you down and it starts alienating you from your family even more. Um, and so it's, it's taught me to live in the moment and be cognizant of my feelings, no matter what they are, and to speak that truth and then to ground myself so that I can pull myself back up and to actually do something about it. it it's, man, it's taken so much therapy and a long time to get where I am now. And I, and I, I feel like that's a common thread. Our generation's weird. We know a time when there wasn't the internet, right? We all used to get on our bikes when we were kids and go to a park and stay out till late and have sleepovers at our friends' houses on the weekends. Like that, that, that world doesn't exist anymore. With the advent of the internet and the advent of social media, we're all so painfully aware of all the scary things that are out there for our kids, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, I'm, I still struggle with anxiety and depression, but now I'm aware of it and I'm more willing to actually name my demons and speak that truth. And, and I take it one day at a time and try and live in the moment. Do you use any other, I mean, do you take medication or anything for it? I do actually. Yeah. I, I just switched actually. I I'm, I'm on a new medication now that seems to be working a little bit better. Most medications I don't handle very well, but I also understand that without the medication, I don't do very well either. Yeah. So uh, it's it's an ongoing learning process for me in, in learning how to cope. So I've had to develop individual coping mechanisms. Um, I like I, I use ground a grounding technique where I stop and I use each sense. Okay, what am I smelling right now? What am I seeing right now? What am I hearing right now? What am I feeling? And by doing that in that moment, it allows me to regain control of my body. Yeah. And to be able to move on. Uh, but it sounds like, I mean, you've done the work either through therapy and medication to like learn to cope, learn to learn about yourself. Um, learning, so, like learning what works for you and also learning what's not working for you. And I think yeah. that sometimes people get caught up in, I'm just doing this and it's not, it might be working or maybe it's not, but it seems like if you're just barely switching and doing stuff, I, I think it's great to, to recognize like this is not working. So let's try something different. And I think, yeah. And that's a very important part of the step. That's cool that you have the coping mechanisms to ground you. Yeah. I, I mean, if, if, if there's one thing that I would say, I would hope people would take away from that. It would be um, if you've gone through any traumatic experiences in your life, uh, recognize that you are not responsible for those traumatic experiences, especially if you're a kid, if, if you've been through some traumatic experiences as a youth. But understand as an adult, when you recognize that you've been through those things, you are responsible to learn how to heal from it. So you may not be responsible for your trauma, but you are responsible to figure out how to heal from it. Um, and there are resources out there. Um, and, and the biggest thing is, is to just talk to somebody. Start off and reach out. I know there have been a couple people, and I'm forgetting their names at the moment, who talked about struggling with suicide. When I left the church, I was... There was one particular night where it was I was done. It was over. Like I was I, I was done. Um, I had I was formulating how I was gonna how I was gonna do it. Um, and then I took a moment to sit down and and think about it. And I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but I was grounding myself. And then I went through and I sat and thought about the consequences. Um, I was very fortunate because most people don't come to that realization when they're in that state on their own. But I thought about the consequences about what it would do to my wife, what it would do to my kids. And I was able to pull myself out enough to go home that night 
until my wife something was wrong. And everything about me and, and all the things I struggled with were, you know, began to come out. Like I said, I allowed myself to finally be seen. Um, and, and just opening your mouth and talking about it um, is a good first step. Um, recognize the trauma, but then, and that it's not your responsibility, but you've got to do something. You've got to, you got to take that first step. Yeah, that was uh, that was in Ryan Copeland's episode. He talked yeah. a bit about yeah, like, that. And thank you. And so, yeah, I really appreciated that he was willing to share that. That was special. I think it's like you were talking about vulnerability. I think that that's something that I hope anybody that's feeling that like doesn't feel shame or you know, like. I just love that you say talk to somebody. Like I would put myself out there. I mean. And there's a lot of people that listen to this that I haven't talked to for years and years, but like, I would love to be a person for anybody. If you're struggling through anything, like call me or I know Gonzo is the same way. Like there are people that would absolutely love to be there just to listen. Like I, I have, a, I'm great at listening. I can just sit there and just listen. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I think sometimes that's just what we need. And so I think that's awesome advice that you're, that you're willing to, I think that's awesome advice that you're willing to bring that up and, and share that. Well, in a way you guys are doing that with this podcast. I, I don't, I think, I think you guys have a lot of fun doing this with each other, right? You can sense your real friendship with each other, but I also think it's not lost on me, the service that this does for the people in our class and, and the spouses of the people that were in our class. Right. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a good space to step back and say, these things do affect us throughout our entire lives. Um, and we're united in that we have this commonality that we all went through our, <laughs> our, our high school experience together, but that we're all still continuing to learn with and from each other. Um, and so I think that's a big deal what you guys are doing. And so I really appreciate that. I mean, I mean for me, it's like, I just, it, for me, it's a way to see, like, to let things go. You know, if we talk to someone, we're like, man, that James, he was a real jerk to me in high school. But they were like, now he's a sweet guy. We're like, yeah, I'm over, I'm over all the... <laughs> I finally let it go. You know, um, so... But which you weren't, you were a sweetheart too, so... But, I, but I'm saying for myself, I'm sure I was like a jerk to lots of people. But maybe they can be like, if they, you know, it's like, if they have issues... I'm, I'm, I've changed and I can say sorry. <laughs> I hated Gonzo so much, but... I like his podcast. He's <laughs> so James, I, and we were messaging earlier this week and I was going to, I was just really going to grill you over like stuff. So what's it like being married to a spicy Colombian lady? And uh, how did it, did your family ever like think anything of it? Does her family, is she, do they judge you for being a white guy? They're like, yeah. Or, but I mean, since you know all the dances, they're like, well, James is probably all right. <laughs> <laughs> Grown on them. Um, Claudia, Claudia um, her dad, I think he was the one that had a problem with me at first. On our very first date, I brought Claudia flowers. A total, I'm such a cheese ball. <laughs> on our first date. And um, her mom was sick. And so I ended up giving the flowers to her mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you're not feeling well here get but since that moment her mom has loved me from that when we weren't even dating seriously at the time and her mom just absolutely loved me so from from that point on her mom was like 
I, I think I'd be okay with somebody like him. Um, but yeah, her dad wasn't sold on me. Absolutely not. He was, and, and he was very, very, I, I mean, staunch Mormon. I mean, but her parents coming from Columbia there, they were both of them come from families that were very staunch Catholic, um, which is, you know, I think most of South America still mm-hmm. is very staunch Catholic. Right. And when they when they join up with the religion, whether they convert from Catholicism or something else, they they go all in. I mean, they are one hundred percent, and it is all day, every day. And um, he he was like that, and so he I think he kind of looked at me like, um, you Utah Mormons are you guys don't even know what you're doing. Um, and so he wanted somebody that was staunch like him. I think is what he wanted. Was he jealous that you didn't bring him flowers too? <laughs> <laughs> you know what. I- <laughs> I I think, and I'm not going to say like all, but like South American LDS or first generation LDS, especially not in the U.S., like my family that converted and to the LDS church, we were the only members in our neighborhood. My, me and my younger sister were the only LDS kids in our elementary school. So you are like akin to kind of like the pioneers as to like you are like the only ones and you may face some of the persecution that that the pioneers face like even you know even at joining as an adult like my parents and the change that they've had with the it's like you're talking about the relationship with your family as you're deciding to step back it's similar when like someone decides in South America in South America to step in, then all of a sudden your family's like, what are you doing? You know? And like a lot of the times people have to sacrifice a lot to become uh, members of the church in, in South America. And I can see how, like, I can see how he can see like, Oh, this guy, he doesn't even know, you know, he doesn't know what, like what you have to sacrifice to really like, believe in this you know and so i i don't know that that just popped into yeah. my mind but it, it, it he, he looked at it like i fell into the church right right yeah but um, this is like you you fell into all the wonderful blessings that come along that's how he looked at it that's how he saw it and of course i was a young kid at the time too so he thought i was incredibly irresponsible and he didn't want his daughter uh dating somebody like me but no i i eventually won them over i did i i, I fell in love with columbia with the colombian culture i I still don't speak Spanish fluently, which is kind of, kind of, it's an embarrassing, embarrassing thing to admit that I've been, you know, married to her for, for 14 years and I still don't speak Spanish fluently. You know, I'm, I'm always, I'm constantly trying to learn, but, um, and our kids don't speak it. I wish they did. And hopefully they, they decide to do that one day. Um, but I really did. I embraced, I I've been to Columbia, um, and gone down there and, and seen some of her family that's still there. And it, they just, I think it's because of how hard I fell in love with the culture that it made it a lot easier. Not every, that doesn't happen in everybody else's families. Um, I know friends who went on missions to um, like Nicaragua or Guatemala and they fall in love with, with a girl from there. Right. Um, and they end up getting married to them. And um, it, it's the, the cultural differences are hard. And, and the, especially if you're coming from a country like I don't, Nicaragua, for instance, um, or largely the, a lot, most of the country lives in third world status, right? Compared to what we live here. So it's, it's very different ideologies. And in Colombia, coming to the U.S. is a big dream for a lot of people or going to Spain. But 
nobody really wants to everybody still sees Columbia as home. So there's still a pride in that, even though there's, you know, the difficulties that they have. And so I think we get this weird concept of this weird idea of being being Americans that that they're from these countries and they live these hard lives that they, everybody wants to be American. But every they're so proud of their cultures that they they love being Guatemalan, they love being Honduran, they love being Colombian, they mm-hmm. love being from Argentina. Argentinians, I think they're the, probably the most proud. <laughs> 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 Uruguayans and Chileans are close, but uh, <laughs> it's just a running joke in my wife's family. And I think Colombians and Brazilians and Argentinians kind of have this thing. Colombians and Argentinians are always fighting each other with who speaks the best version of Spanish. Um, my my mother-in-law just, they're so annoyingly proper with their Spanish. And they're like, no, Colombians speak the best Spanish. Um, <laughs> they always fight each other on that. But I, I, I think it's weird for, for somebody from like me to see that and be like, well, we wish our country was like the U.S. and we come here for opportunity, but I'm Colombian. That's what I love, you know? And we're like, so it's, I don't think we quite understand that. I don't think we understand the, the the true depth of pride that comes from from the people that that come from those countries, and that so that's been an enlightening thing as well. I run into that a lot. I have lots of patients, and I'll always be like, "Hey, so you have like summer plans or whatever?" And like, "Oh, I'm going back to my country," and I'll always, "Well, what countries?" And it always is a different place. It would be like Colombia or Venezuela, and you're absolutely spot on. Like you saying that resonated with me because people do. It's like, oh, they'll go back for two or three weeks and they, they have all their family still there. Like they want to be here for the, the amazing things you can get being in the U.S. But it's like, I'm going back to my country. That's right. You know, like they live here in the U.S. and they work here. But Venezuela, that's my country. Or Colombia, that's my country. It's just really interesting to hear you word it that way because it's totally true. And I've seen that. Like I see that weekly. I have people telling me that they're going back to their country. It's something I think we've lost. Like... When I look at my generations or my ancestry, I'm I'm a European mutt like most people. I mean, I've got ancestry from Ireland, Scotland, England, Denmark, Netherlands, Germany, from France, from Spain, from Italy. Like I've got this this genealogy that comes from everywhere. And so my my ident my my culture is actually influenced by like 16 different cultures that have all kind of rolled over and assimilated over time, right? No, Africa. Lot... <laughs> no. Don't look like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm almost as white as paper. No, um, <laughs> it's, uh, but, but it's kind of, a, I don't know how to describe it. My, it's, it's adulterated to me. So for, for, in a lot of ways, I'm very jealous of, of the, the cultural identity that my wife and her family has. Because mine's this muddled mix of so many different things. It's beautiful and I love it. But I also wish that I had more of an identity like that with my ancestors outside of Mormonism. Yeah, but it, that's what. But it, that's kind of what it is. It's like, it's Kirkland pioneers or, you know, and, it, and it's and it's American, you know, apple pie and baseball and football and whatnot, you know. And right. if you if you went and lived... And like move to London and start living there, you'd be like, "We're having Thanksgiving." <laughs> you, you better believe it. Yeah. And Which then, is funny you say that because um, growing up, basketball, football, baseball—that was like everything to me. My favorite sport now is is football. I mean, proper football, 
like following football, soccer, <laughs> right? Um, following soccer for me is such a big deal. It's actually been fun to trace my ancestors back to different places and find the soccer teams that represent those areas and to follow those teams. It's been, it's been really cool. Um, and so I've, in the process of all this, I've fallen in love with soccer um, more than any other sport. And I just, I absolutely love it. I, I still follow American football really closely. Um, watched the BYU-Utah game last night, which is a fun game to watch. Um, sorry to all the Utah fans that might be listening. The nine-year streak is over. <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> I was there and it was but, awesome. <laughs> but for me, um, like Liverpool beat Leeds today 3 nothing, and that was just as exciting for me, you know, which is something that wouldn't have been in high school. Um, it was always football and basketball were the number one. I still follow them. Uh, it's awesome to have such a great team right now with the Utah Jazz are doing amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have been able to expand my horizons when it comes to sports as well, along with that. All right. So one more uh, question about like your marriage and family. So yeah. um, how was it then the opposite? You're saying you kind of like were kind of on the outs with Claudia's family. But, you know, they, you've earned, you, you feel like I've earned my way there. I, like Claudia's dad tolerates me now. And like, <laughs> how was it with your family and, and Claudia coming in? Were they just like, oh, uh, Mexican lady, whatever. That <laughs> <Or like, laughs> was my dad. No. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> times he's called her Mexican. <laughs> Oh, and then, and then he'll, he'll, my dad was part of an initiative in Sandy where they were going around helping teach immigrant families, um, English. And, um, he, uh, it was, uh, everybody he worked with was Mexican. Um, and, um, he would, he would, <laughs> the silly man would come to my wife and ask him if she knew some of these people. had <laughs> Mexico has like 50 different states and, and hundreds of millions of people. Why on earth would you know a single family from Chihuahua? Come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I get it. The church is small when it comes. It's a small world in comparison to everything else. But um, Claudia and I actually met working at Olive Garden during our senior year of high school. And um, we were just really good friends at first. And then we started dating seriously just before I left on my mission and she told me she's all I'm, I'm gonna wait for you and I laughed at her I it, I feel bad looking back at it like I literally laughed out loud I'm like you're not gonna be around when I get back it's it's fine if you want to write me while I'm out there do it I would love I would love it with nothing more um, but I came back and she was available and we started dating and got married and it which is crazy um, that she quote waited for me um, but when I got back, my dad had other plans. <laughs> like um, he, the, when I, the first day that I was back in Salt Lake, they actually traveled out to Chicago to see the city. And then we drove down to Nauvoo to see Nauvoo because it's not too far from Chicago and then drove back and came home. Um, he was like that first Sunday back, I gave my um, homecoming talk at church and um, he was introducing me to like six different young women in the ward being like, in front of them being like, you should ask her out on a date. <laughs> like, Claudia is waiting for me at the entrance of the church. Trying to hook me up with these different, these different girls in the ward that apparently he had been talking to, to them about me for like months before I even came home. So my dad tried hard 
to get me to date a bunch of girls. And I just kept telling him, like, sorry, Claudia is it. This is this is it for me. And so he was a little he was a little put off by that up front, but eventually he warmed up to her. He likes her more than he likes me now. <laughs> so. That's funny. That's cool. I have a question that I've been thinking of since you first started talking. You have nine kids in your family, right? Yeah. Who is the the seventh? My sister. Um, her name's Misty. Uh, she was she graduated in two thousand two. Name was Misty Johnson, and she um, and I didn't really even notice each other <laughs> in high school. The one year that we were there together, I, it's this is going to sound really stupid, but I've been watching Star Trek Voyager. And <laughs> do you ever call her Seven of Nine? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> amazing is you just outed yourself as a Trek. That's amazing to me. I love it. <laughs> My wife hates it. I have to do it. I've been watching it for like over a year, but it's going to end this month. I'm a, I'm a Trekkie too. It's like all the Star Trek has to be watched on your phone. Like, yeah, it's never, it's never on the main TV at home. My wife refuses to watch it with me, but <laughs> yeah. And I thought I, it, I struggle with those things too with my kids. Cause my kids are all about watching the stupid YouTubers. Like they, they still love Ryan's world and they, I love watching people play video games. I don't get that myself. I don't either. I, I can't stand watching people play video games. I can't like, stand Ryan's world. That's what I can't stand. Oh, kill me. Um, but I mean, it, which which amazes me that somebody like him could be making, you know, $23 million a year off of toys. Right? It's unbelievable. Um, Seven of nine. But, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Um, so, James, like, what are you – I know you're into – Football. I know you're into La Chacarera. Um, yeah. Is there any other passions that you've discovered? I I am a foodie. Oh yeah. I love food. The difference. One of the biggest differences between me and my wife is that she eats to live, and I live to eat. Um, I am such a foodie. Um, when we first got married, you got to try working- some of those Jerome sausages. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, I saw when you posted Andy uh, Simeone's um, podcast. I, we we got to get together for tacos. Yeah, right? let's do it. Let's do it. Tacos is like, that's life for me. Um, tacos Pastor, that's like the taco of Mexico. And it is like the greatest thing in the world. I My life changed when I when I had a taco pastor for the first time. Like I, I died and went to heaven. We're going to start keeping a list. And I think what we will do is our next big gathering should be Everybody meet at this place for tacos. <laughs> we'll go to the Paisa Grill for yeah, lunch. Yeah, we'll like, hey, <laughs> how much? Paisa. Yes. Like, how much do I have to pay you to like section up this big area? And like five people will show up. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm I had even practiced writing for a while um, to get travel blocking stuff, um, and just got caught up with so many other endeavors. Um, I love traveling and I love food. We would when I, I was working for Marriott, Claudia was working for JetBlue at the same time. And we, this was before we had kids, we traveled like crazy. I mean, we were, there were, the JetBlue had this awesome uh, red-eye flight to New York City. You get on a flight at, at 11 o'clock at night and you get there at six in the morning or five in the morning. And then the flight would head back to Salt Lake City at eight o'clock the next night. So you'd go get in New York at 6 a.m. and then stay there until, you know, about 6 p.m. and then hmm. fly home. And I, I think we were in New York twice a month. 
is what we were doing. We're hitting New York twice a month and then traveled all over Europe, traveled all over the U.S., and um, I, I still, I'm, I, the travel bug has never left me. I'm obsessed with travel and I'm obsessed with food. Nice. Utah's food scene's growing too. Utah's, Utah's food scene's getting better. Yeah, there's a lot of great places to eat. We like yeah. to, we like to go to places like no chains. Like we like to go to just individual restaurants, and there's a ton of them now. There's so many good places to eat. I'm impressed. I, Utah, I was worried that Utah would never get to that level. That Utah would never, you know, we wouldn't accept the small restaurants and stuff. That we would just surround ourselves with the chains i mean don't get me wrong in and out's great i love i love in and out just as much as the next guy but i also appreciate the little estab- establishments like set bellows and salt lake or yeah. something like in and out's good for a burger but lucky 13 is gonna have a better one <laughs> way better salt city burger delicious yeah <laughs> exactly we, we've got kind of a burger mecca here in utah There's yeah we've got good, good burgers. burgers yeah yeah that's really really good i think I think we're, we're, we're lucky to be here. Um, Utah's an easy place to live. That's another thing I've learned throughout my travels. Living in Florida, man, Florida is such a great place to vacation. There are as many crazies there as the news, the news portrays. Florida mm-hmm. is a nuts place. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, Shreve. <laughs> For anybody that, that, that um, watches the show Atlanta, uh, the Florida man does exist. It's a real thing. So, yeah. <laughs> so, James, do we have any beef? You know, I, n- nothing, I don't have any anger or any bad feelings towards anybody. Funny enough, like, I, I tried to have good experiences with everybody, but I think I was rude to more people than I, I think I, I realized. Um, one of the guys I played basketball with, I always felt like I had a beef with. His name was Jordan Snow. I don't know if you guys knew him very well. I wish yeah. I would have taken time to get to know him better. Um, I think he, th- there, there were some people who said some things about him that were very misunderstood. And after high school, I ran into him a couple of times. And goodness gracious, one of the nicest guys I think I've ever met. He's actually, um, he, he does, he run, has a career in fitness now. The dude is, looks amazing. He's jacked. He looks awesome. Um, and he's killing it. Um, but I wish I would have gotten to know him better. I wish I wouldn't have passed judgment on him you know, so quickly. And I think I did that um, probably more often than I like to admit, you know, um, I, 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 we, I remember um, Borgmeyer talked about an experience in basketball where he wishes that um, one, one time when Huey was forced to run yeah. um, after practice, um, he wishes that he would run with him. I, I remember one time after a game in our sophomore year, our head coach, I uh, was coach mismatched and that dude sucked as a head coach. He was t- terrible (laughs) great guy he just had a severe anger problem the guy had a major anger problem and i remember one time after a game uh, it was actually halftime and we were i think we were playing it was either alta or bingham i can't remember um maybe one of the other guys can help uh help me on that but we went into the locker room at halftime and he pointed out everybody in the room individually and ripped them apart in front of everybody and stormed out. And I remember at the time he pointed at me, he said, and if you're too damn skinny, that's your own damn problem. <laughs> and, and, and Huey, Zach Hewitt stood up and he pointed at everybody and said, because when he was done on his tirade, he walked out of the locker room and just left us all in there. And halftime wasn't over. And we're all just sitting there staring at each other like, what the hell do we do now? And um, Zach stood up and he pointed at everybody. He says, you're not this. You're not this. And I remember him pointing at me. He's all, and James, you're not too damn skinny. 
<laughs> like, and it's little things like that with people that it just stand out to me that I, I think I need to write all that stuff down. I, I wish I would have kept a journal in high school of those memories because I, I look back on them and then I realize just how much little tiny, seemingly unimportant instances affected me. Um, one of my favorite teachers at Jordan was Mr. Winward. I don't know if you guys had him for history. He taught my European history class. Um, his class was basically an art history class. Um, after taking his European history AP class, I actually did the AP test for Euro and the art history AP test and passed both of them based off of his class. Um, and his was only for European history. Um, and he had this way of going into the class and teaching his life lessons along with the curriculum. And I, and I know there's probably people who listen to this who maybe had Mr. Winward, but I think about some of those things and how those, some of them have just stuck. They've, they've stuck for so long. And um, I, I, I think, I wish I just would have been more aware of what was going on to be able to take more in at the time. Do you have anything you'd like to support or um, and anything that you'd like people to know about? Um. Nothing, nothing in particular, although I will say this, um, support yourself, bet on yourself. Um, what I mean by that, I don't mean like bet on yourself, go get schooling or anything like that. Um, find out within yourself, be introspective and allow yourself to be seen. Um, whoever you really are, whatever you stand for, whatever you support, um, find a way for others to see who you really are. Um, find a way to connect with other people. Because um, when you're vulnerable, it gives people the freedom and gives them the permission to be vulnerable back. Um, and if there's one thing you can do to improve the world, uh, be vulnerable with everyone that you can so that they themselves can be seen in return. I love it. Yeah. I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, James. It's been, it's been really nice to talk to you. Let's, let's put a taco day on the calendars, uh, Andy can come for out February. Yeah. For February, <laughs> November. Uh, and yeah, let me, it's, it's me and Salt Lake halfway between us and, and you and can hit up some tacos. I'd love to. Uh, I'm there. I'll, I'll be at El Paisa whenever you guys want me to be there. All right. Perfect. Okay. We'll start making a list. Check it twice. <laughs> <Hey> guys. <laughs> hey, it's, it's great talking to you. Thank you for taking the time and just, and being open and sharing. I think, I've gotten a lot out of it. I think anyone listening, there's a bunch of nuggets that anybody listening can pull out of this for sure. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's been an awesome conversation, guys. Thank you so much for doing this. Appreciate you. And I love you guys. Oh, hey, I love you too, love James. Love you too. All right, let's stay in touch. Good to see you. Hey, okay. We'll talk later. Good night. Good night. Gonzo, we just finished talking to James. What are your thoughts? Man. I've got, I've got thoughts. Like, I loved, I loved how much you promoted, you know, being true to yourself, being vulnerable. And I loved how vulnerable he was, you know, sharing about his struggles with church, but then also deciding like, but you know what, I, this is where I need to be and coming back. And that, that's, that's hard. It was, it was great. It was, and then, you know, learning his passions about travel, about South American culture and Hispanic culture. It's great. It, 
And he seemed happy, you know? Yeah, he did seem happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I'm glad he reached out. I'm, and James and, and I, we'd run into each other around town all the time. You know, I'd, I'd see them, like him and his wife, and then they had a little boy, and then we'd had a little kid, and then we'd see them. It's like, oh, now they got two, you know? And it's, it's mm-hmm. one of those things that we just, I, I would happen to run into them all the time. So it's good to talk to them, good to see them. I I second you. I I will echo what you said. Just I love how open he was, and it was cool because it's like some of those questions are kind of uncomfortable, but it was like he didn't even care. He was just happy to answer them. And I yeah. think a thought that I've had since he said it, it was like I wonder. I think the decision to like leave the church and the culture and the network, like everything with it, I think would be really hard, and I wonder if it was as hard or easier or harder, like what to, to make the decision to come back. Like, you know, we decided we are going to come back. Was that easy? Was that hard? Like, maybe James, if you're listening to this, like send in a voicemail or less. No, like, I just wonder what that experience would have been like. I wish I would have asked. And that. then it also sounded like, like his wife didn't leave. So he, he kind of stepped back on his own. And it does, I think that makes it really hard and it can be it, it can become like a rift in your marriage if one if someone's all in and another person is like doubting or less in or out mm-hmm. in the LDS theology you're saved with your family you're saved with your spouse literally you yeah. know so it's like that becomes like if one person's out then what happens to the other person you right. know so I think that can become that can be a wedge in a marriage, and mm-hmm. so many people like one person kind of starts doubting and loses it, and the other person's still all in. It's like a lot of divorce happens in Utah because of that. Yeah, I, so that was that was the thought that I had that I wish I would have asked. But I loved how open he was, and I loved he talked about, you know, just talk. If you have these thoughts, like talk to someone. Yeah, do reach out. Um, and I love that he's a foodie. I'm a foodie. I, I love food so much. And, uh, Me too. It's like, I do think we ought to... Gonzo and I are going to start uh, keeping a list. And we'll we'll be making a date soon enough. We'll, everybody, we'll all get tacos. Yeah. Everybody's invited. People, I think we'll, we'll have more people eating tacos than running out. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be so easy. All of a sudden, like 50 people are like, yeah, tacos, I'm in. Tacos. <laughs> uh, shoot. So, I loved it. I thought it was a great conversation. Yeah, me too. I... James is a great guy. He's such a sweetheart. So he's great. Yeah. If you'd like to be on the podcast, send us an email, jordanhigh2004podcast at gmail.com. And uh, listen to us. Keep listening. Tell your friends. Yeah. Yeah. And this has been another episode of the Jordan High 2004 podcast. And we'll we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Driving back from the East Canyon Marathon. This is Gonzo. And this is Steve. Steve. <laughs> On location yeah. in my car. Yeah. We just finished the half marathon. What are your thoughts? It's like, I, I just wanted to beat you so bad, and I did not. Man, but you did really well. You did good. Well, thanks. You you did great as well. I wanted, just like you wanted to beat me so bad, I wanted to beat Christina so bad, and I, I didn't beat her either. She's just... Just like we've talked about in her in her episode, she's like a superwoman. She is, so she beat us all. Yeah. And 
rubbed it in our faces. As she should. She kicked butt, took names, and I'm really glad that we did this. Me too. I'm. This was really fun. I feel good. I'm. It, I feel like we accomplished something. So I'm happy we did it. I think we should choose something different for our next, <laughs> our yeah. next challenge. Our next challenge: wine tasting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. So what I learned today is when you run a half marathon, when it's smoky, you cough a lot when you're done. Yeah, stay tuned for lung cancer updates. (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait.